Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome into the first episode of the SEC and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready, joined by Chris Landry. We'll be with you every Tuesday and Friday about this time, 9 a.m. Central Time. That is our plan, at least. Uh, We'll be here on uh, StreamYard and Twitch, and we'll post the the audio version of this in a podcast form uh, later each Tuesday, each Friday. At least that's the plan. Give us... uh, Give us a little leniency early on is what we ask because we're both sort of learning a few things here in uh, StreamYard as we go. But, uh, Chris, welcome in. Uh, good, to, good to be with you. Oh, great to be with you, Neil. It's an honor to be with you, and uh, we're really excited to welcome the audience. SEC football and beyond is going to be tons of fun. We're going to talk football, and certainly as the topics, you know, uh, uh, indicate, we, we may branch out a little bit and do that. But this is going to be your home for SEC football talk, SEC sports, but SEC football, where we're going to talk football all year round, recruiting during the, in the uh, quote-unquote offseason. Um, we're, we're, this is going to be your home for SEC football. Just excited to you to be part of uh, the Chris Landry Football Twitch channel and for us to be here each and every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, Neil's been a great reporter in the SEC. I call I claim him as a, a Louisiana boy. Yeah. He's, uh, Mississippi, and he has been covering the SEC for a long time. No one's better connected. I couldn't have a better partner in this. And uh, so we're really, really excited. A couple of notes. Folks, if you're listening to this in podcast form, great. If you have a chance, check us out. You can watch this show live. You can watch us. Chat with with us in the chat room at twitch.tv slash Football. Just go to LandryFootball.com. Hit follow Chris on Twitch. Hit the heart button, like us, go in the chat room, tell us what you think, ask us questions. We're doing this for you, so make sure that you do that. So we're really excited and ready to go, Neil. Yeah, I, I think most everybody knows your background. They know uh, they're, they're here on Chris Landry Football, so they know about you. And a lot of people know of me, but here's my background for those that, that wonder. Uh, I started my journalism career at the Oxford Eagle here at Ole Miss in, in Oxford. I covered Ole Miss for about two years. Among other things, I ended up in Birmingham. I was at the Birmingham Post-Herald for several years. The late Birmingham Post-Herald, may it rest in peace. I covered Auburn in 1998. The Post-Herald, my first year on the Auburn beat, was Terry Bowden's, the year that Terry Bowden quit midway through the season. You didn't have much to cover then. (laughs) And and I kind of caught a journalism break. Uh, Auburn hired Ole Miss's coach. And I knew Tommy Tuberville from covering him. I'd covered the coaching search at Ole Miss when he was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. So I knew Tommy, soon to be Senator Tommy Tuberville, and uh, I, I knew Tommy. So that that made covering that story, breaking that story, much easier for me. Uh, I ended up going to Mobile at that point with the Mobile uh, Press Register, which later became the Mobile Register, which I guess now is part of AL.com. I covered Auburn for five more years at uh, at the Press Register in Mobile. Then I got promoted to columnist, and I was covering the league as a whole. Uh, my my first year covering the league as a whole was Nick Saban's NCAA uh, national championship at LSU. So uh, I covered a lot of LSU in 2000, I guess, what was that, three, four Five did a lot of LSU over the the next five years, 
I uh, did a lot of Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. It it turned out to be great for me from a connection standpoint because I it, it got me uh, out of just covering Auburn and covering a lot of other things. I, I filled in on the Alabama beat some, so I had some familiarity there. And uh, I did a radio show in Mobile for six years on WNSP uh, every afternoon, I guess from three to six. So I did a lot of radio. And then in uh, 2000, well, late 2007, I started asking questions about the newspaper business. I didn't like the answers that I got. I lost my radio gig in November of, of 2007, which led me to do some soul searching. And um, Rivals.com offered me the, uh, the Ole Miss beat, if you will, the site. And uh, I took it. My parents live in, here in Oxford. I took it thinking we'd probably be here two, maybe three years. Um, we're still here 12 years later. But this is fun for me. I mean, I've covered Ole Miss now for this is my 13th season covering Ole Miss, which is just unbelievable to me. But this is going to be fun for me because, I mean, nothing against Ole Miss. I enjoy covering Ole Miss. Ole Miss has been, has been great to cover. But it's fun to venture out and do some other things and talk about some other things. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, I do have some connections and contacts around the league and around the country and and uh so it'll be fun to kind of use those a little bit more than than i've been able to use them in the past so i'm looking forward to it yeah and of course i you know uh remember neil in his uh his radio show days and being on his show and got to know him and and uh you know he's he's modest there but he was the guy that was able to break the tommy tuberville story and today where everything is breaking news and who got it this it wasn't quite as uh oh you know mainstream back then but yeah. he was on top of it and i can remember when that whole thing went down was um working in the league and uh, in the nfl scouting and and hearing about it and and that uh, and he- hear that whole thing uh, break up because that was quite the drama that uh neil was able to see <laughs> witness firsthand with terry's drama of uh, terry bowden's drama and then obviously tubs leaving and and the uh, they they haven't forgotten in Oxford. Uh, the, the only way I'm leaving Oxford is in the Pine yeah. Box quote, and then he goes to uh, a, a rival SEC West uh, school. So no, this you know is what, gonna, you know yeah. what's funny about that too <laughs> is that those days and and the the young people don't remember these days, and I'm not and I'm not making fun of them. I mean, but those <laughs> were the days. Yeah, those were the days that you put a you put a story to bed the night before or whatever, and you just hoped. You know, there was no, there was no, Hey, I'm going to correct this on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to get on the internet and correct this story. The, the hard print was out. And so, uh, there were, there were some moments in that final week, not to go down too far down the Tommy Tuberville, um, Auburn, um, highway, I guess, but there were some moments in that week because Auburn had finished its season the Saturday before they played Alabama at Legion field in the iron bowl. Bill Oliver had stepped down and or had taken his name out. Bill Oliver had figured out that he wasn't going to be the guy. And uh, so he was done. Auburn's season was done. And I was, I remember it vividly. I was heading to Auburn on a Tuesday night, maybe a Monday night, to cover basketball. Auburn was playing, I think, BYU. It was one of those basketball games where I wrote about it and never saw a single dribble. Because I was working my phone and I was talking to people, I you know I looked at the box score and said, "Well, we're going to write off this score." And uh, but I remember that night, some of the other writers were talking about other people, and all I had from my sources was Tuberville, 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 and they're writing about George O'Leary, who at the time was the Georgia Tech coach, and somebody else I can't remember who else. But the O'Leary thing had me freaked out because I thought, I don't have that. And two or three other really good journalists are writing about George O'Leary. And I, I was driving back to Birmingham from Auburn that night, really kind of having a panic attack, thinking, I'm, 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 I'm this young reporter. I'm going to get smoked on this story. I'm never going to live it down. This is the end of my career. I'm done. I'm 20-something and done. And uh, that next day, I guess I guess that was a Monday, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday, we drove over to Oxford 
and I covered the uh, I didn't cover the Egg Bowl, but I came to the Egg Bowl, which was on Thanksgiving night. It was the night that Mississippi State wrapped up the SEC West. And uh, I, I covered that game. And I, even though I was at that point 99 point something percent confident that Tommy Tuberville was taking the Auburn job within hours, there was just that little nagging doubt in the back <laughs> of my mind that, you know, and then Tuberville did that thing of the pine box and on the radio show, I'm not leaving, not Wolf of Wall Street level, I'm not leaving, but. You know, I, there's nothing to that. I'm I'm here. I'm I'm not leaving. The only way I'm leaving Oxford's in a pine box. And all these people start, you know, bombarding you with, "Hey, he said this," and I'm like, "I know it. I know what he said. I'm I'm just I'm just telling you. I know what people have told me, and I can say this now. I knew what Tuberville had told me, and so even that next morning, Friday morning, I did not feel. I did not exhale on that story until <laughs> I didn't exhale on that story until uh, I knew Tommy Tuberville was in Auburn. And at the time I'd driven back to Birmingham and the funniest part of that whole weekend, Chris, I'm I'm covering Tommy Tuberville taking the job. I'm talking to some people that were on his staff and hey, are you coming too? And the the whole staff, except for one coach, if I remember correctly, left Ole Miss for Auburn. So I, and I knew some of those guys from covering them at Ole Miss. And I ended up on that Friday night having a scoop handed to me that Ole Miss was going to hire Mike Cavan, who at the time was the coach at SMU. That that's who Ole Miss was going to hire. And I'm sitting on it going, I don't need this story. I I I don't cover Ole Miss. I cover Auburn. I'm not an SEC writer. I told the people at my paper, hey, I've got this kind of thing about Ole Miss and Mike Cavan. What do I do? And like, ah, I don't worry about it. Let somebody else have that. You work on the Auburn stuff. I'm like, okay. And so I told <laughs> I, I told somebody back at Ole Miss, I'm like, who covered Ole Miss, I'm like, hey, you, you need to dig around on this cabin thing. And it got out and they basically revolted. Their their fans did. And so they they scrapped the cabin thing and ended up hiring David Cutcliffe and you know the rest. So it was just so funny how all of that stuff happened in such a short period of time. And, and it was the, like I've said many times, it was the break of a lifetime for me because I'm not sure that I was connected enough at Auburn. I didn't, get, I didn't start the Auburn beat Chris until August of 1998. They had already started camp. And so I, I had no time really to build the connections you need to cover a team well-sourced and stuff like that. I got lucky. Bill Oliver liked me. That helped for whatever reason, Bill Oliver liked me. Somebody was looking out from above. And, um, but I, you know, and then Terry Bowden quits in mid October. And then it's a, this wild scramble. And I don't know that I knew enough people at Auburn that, let's say Auburn had hired George O'Leary. I don't think I break that story. And so I don't, I don't know that my career catapults the way that it did, where I got to Mobile, which was a much safer newspaper, much more stable, and all of those things. And it kind of, you know, the, the rest is history. So that's a lesson to you young people out there. Sometimes, you got to just bust your ass and then hope, 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 hope that you get a lucky break because there is a certain degree of luck to to success. And, and all this happened, folks, in an era where you didn't have the social media. So uh, you mentioned the thing about Mike Cavan that's uh, in a very subtle way what happened at Tennessee, obviously with Greg Ciano, yeah. but with you put in the modern era of social media, that was the backlash and how the backlash happened where it happened more behind the scenes back then. And, you know, I think that's what's interesting about today's world. And look, we're going to get into, we're not in the coaching search world. And I don't know in this year of COVID, we're going to have a lot of changes, but we'll certainly keep you up to date on all of that uh, on this show as uh, the, as the time of the year progresses, but uh, got just so much, a lot, lots going on, Neil around, the conference as we head towards the season. Go ahead. So let's start here because the, the name of the show is the SEC and beyond. And so to prove to people that we're going to get beyond the SEC sometimes, the big story that's out there today potentially is not the SEC. The SEC is just kind of rolling right along. Everybody's got practice three weeks from tomorrow. The season is, is set to kick off. The story is the Big Ten. The Big Ten yesterday Penn State, the Big Ten had to really back off of a story that was released earlier in the day about myocarditis. Turns out the story was badly misreported. Um, I'm not going to get on my media soapbox here about COVID. It 
history is not going to view journalism particularly well, uh, in my opinion, when, when, the, when we take a step back and, and look at how the, the coronavirus pandemic was covered. Regardless, the Big Ten walked away from that story. It's now twice in the last month since the Big Ten announced that, hey, we're not going to play football, that a study that they leaned on has been rebuked. Now, you're, you're probably a lot better connected in the Big Ten than I am. I have a few Big Ten connections. You have a ton of Big Ten connections. What are you hearing about the Big Ten? There's a report that's kind of out there that 10 of the 14 Big Ten member institutions are seriously talking about playing football starting on October the 10th, which will be two weeks after the SEC begins. They could play a 10-game schedule, boom, 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 finish at the same time that everybody else finishes and then technically be a part of a playoff if you got if we got that far where we had a playoff the four schools that are talking that they say won't play Illinois, Northwestern, Rutgers and Maryland but the other 10 according to reports that are out there are at either on board or strongly considering getting on board with a a 2020 fall schedule well, time's of the essence because in order to get it started on the 10th, they're already, you know, it's, it's as you know, and the listeners know and the viewers know that it's not about just lining up and playing in a few weeks. It's about you've not done anything to this point, which is why this is such a disaster for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, quite frankly, that they have, instead of doing what the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 did, and that is keep it alive. Keep it going to figure it out. There's a reason why it didn't take place that way. And all of the the coaches and the athletic administrators, they all 14 want to play. Yes. Everybody. Yes. This is political. This is above the presidents of the universities. It's the, in the gubernatorial offices that are dictating to the presidents of the universities. Folks. It's not a private okay, university. So, so why is it political? I mean, because I, I, well, I, I know- because I I think they they don't want to play. It makes it look bad. But you know, uh, if if they play, uh, so that's, what I, that's what I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to pin you down, but, but sure. I, I'm one of these people too that I use that word a lot, and I, I'll people will will email me or text me or whatever and say when you say political, that's such a big word. Okay, what, yeah, what do you a, mean? A great and, and so the the question I'm asking is is it political because they're worried about the appearance of of football being played in a pandemic. Are they worried about football being played where they still have massive restrictions on restaurants and bars and and salons and 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 retail completely? Or is this a we don't want the appearance of normalcy because the appearance of normalcy takes people away from a chaotic feeling, and we want people to be upset when they go into the ballot box on November the third. It's the latter. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's certainly concern about health, but their data is no different than anybody else's view has said. The data is the data, the facts are the facts, how you interpret it. The, the whole political part of this, and I'm not political, and I really am not a political person, and I don't really understand this health stuff enough to make cogent comments on it. However, what I do know is that People that are on the right are, hey, let's go, let's play, let's be normal. Let's do. People yeah. on the left, oh, no. And there is that divisiveness in this country politically as it relates to the November election. So, for example, I mean, why do you think that the president, the president of the United States, got in touch with Kevin Warren? What better situation for him is if he could get Big Ten football going then he could be able to go to those swing states or I don't even know. You may tell me, I don't even know if they're swing states, states that are clearly against him. He might be able to get some voters to say, no, they're, I, they're got, swing states. I, I got football back for you. You see what yeah. I mean? He'd like that. Just like those very people don't want football back before the election because it creates that chaos and that look as to, hey, you know what? This is just not, you know, it's not a good time. It's not safe or whatever. I, I think that this de- clearly, when the Big Ten decided several weeks ago now yeah, to not play, to cancel it, that tells you that they didn't want to see it through. 
they wanted to cut it off as quick as possible for political reasons. And that's what I'm being told by, yep. by, by the coaches and, 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 and players there. So that's what it is. Look, I'm of the belief that if it is not safe to play and it is deemed by the appropriate people that it's not safe to play and the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC cancel it or we can't get through it, at least they've tried. They can throw up their hands to their you know contingencies and say, hey, look, constituencies rather, and say, we did everything we could. The Big Ten, the Pac-12 can't. And we know that the Pac-12 is kind of the little brother of the Big Ten and they do it. And then we know they're in California. Look, I'm not a, I'm not against or for any. I don't really belong to a party. I vote on issues mainly, but you know that again out west in California, that's they clearly are reacting to this a lot differently, right or wrong. They are. So that's why you know they're not. And in the the Big Ten, I think there's a lot of mix. I mean, you look at it: Governor Minnesota, Michigan. Pennsylvania are all kind of anti some of this. But what's interesting, Neil, is that you're dealing in some states like the state of Ohio, where you can play high school football. Cincinnati, it's going to, you know, Cincinnati is going to be able to play football. The Bengals and the Browns are going to play football, but it's not safe for Ohio State to play. Okay. That try to sell that. Well, that is, that is becoming everybody in the Big Ten is hyping mad in their fan base and sure. they're getting eggs in their face. So what is going on, I think, right now is the appearance by the presidents and everybody. Oh, we're looking at all issues. Yeah, we'd like to start. Maybe we could do Thanksgiving. Maybe we – Thanksgiving, that was pretty transparent, right? No, the, the election is November 4th, right? So that's kind of convenient. Well, maybe we can do it early. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can, can – you know, there is no way the Big Ten is playing spring football. They're not going to play spring football. It ruins next season for them. It's not happening. Here's a, here's another part of this Big Ten thing to, t- t- to prove to you that it is political. This is what I was told yesterday. There's a, there's a feeling – among some of these, you know, like, look, I'm, I'm not trying to make this a Republican Democrat thing, but but it is. It is. It is. Uh, the, there's a feeling among Democrats that if you allow fifty thousand people or whatever into the big house in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, how can you then say, hey, it's not safe to come to the ballot box and vote? How is it not safe That's to go to the to go to the voting? <clears throat> To go to your voting place, whether it's an elementary school or whatever, and vote. It's it's not safe to vote, but it's safe to assemble at these places. And where it looks so silly is, like you mentioned, in Ohio. Look at Iowa. Iowa State's playing in the Big 12. Iowa high school football is going to play. Iowa high school baseball played with fans. Baseball. They finished the season with Tremendous success. They had a couple of COVID issues, but no kid, no player required hospitalization, nothing like that. They they got through it. They played. But the University of Iowa, right there in Iowa City, which depends on I mean, Iowa City obviously depends on Iowa, depends on Iowa football for money, for revenue to continue to grow. They, they they're not playing. And that's a that's not a swing state. Iowa's probably going to be a a, a red state. It's going to go with Trump. So the governor there wants to play. The people there want to play. You have all of this happening inside inside that state. That's right. Indiana wants to play. Notre Dame's playing, but Purdue and 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 Indiana can't in a no, state. That's right. I mean, those right. people are people are hopping mad, and it is. I'm with you. A spring season makes no sense and isn't going to happen. Uh, certainly not in a 10-game deal. If you told me there was a couple of exhibition games to try to recoup some money or something, okay. But no, it's not going to happen. It makes no sense. It, 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 when, you, when you say we're not playing in the fall because we're worried about the safety of the players, and then you turn around in the spring and you say, we're, but we're, we're comfortable playing in the spring and then playing again next fall, we don't think I mean, that's, that's it's lud- ludicrous. Your argument is it's a fallacy at that point. It's why I'm fascinated to see what ultimately happens because we're we're approaching, I mean, fast approaching the breaking point for if we're going if you're going to play in the Big Ten and you're going to start a season, let's say on October the 10th, you got to get rolling. 
like now. No, not about, not, and not yeah. about the football part, but about the testing part. You got to get all that stuff worked out that the SEC has now been doing for a month, that the ACC has been doing for a month, that the Big 12 has been doing for a, a month, that the American uh, Conference is doing for a month. And look, I know it's not big time football, but last night you saw South Alabama and Southern Miss play a game. You've seen Central Arkansas, I think, play three games now or two or three games. Two, two games. games. People have. People are playing games, and they're getting through it, and everybody's okay. And it quickly for the Big Ten, they're having a hard time because the Big Ten can't come out and say, "Hey, look, we can't do this because we're worried that we're helping Donald Trump." They they can't say that. Yeah. No, they so can't. They, and, and every day, yeah. Yeah. every day that it looks like, oh boy, the SEC, the ACC, you're going to have ACC games start next week. So in addition to these games, and we've got more this weekend, BYU Navy is going to play on Labor Day night. I mean, it's not the big game, but people are going to see it. And Well, wait a minute. Every day that this continues to go along the lines of these other places are going to be able to play it, um, it's going to make the egg on the face of the Big Ten look, you know, just more, you know, obvious. And uh, it's going to be stench-filled. And, and so, it look, there's no question that the Big Ten would have loved everybody there for the rest of the leagues to follow them and for to not have any football. Because, A, we let everybody. We knew it first. Now it is we look like buffoons. And to my mind, even if it, we do have to stop it, I think the way the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 did it was the right way because they have a genuine interest in playing. They have a genuine interest in playing for obvious reasons. But, you know, I think politically, too, they want to show that everything's normal and right. Just like, the, you know, I think the, the, a lot of the, the states in the Big Ten politically are wanting it to show the chaos that you're talking about. So it's a mess, and it's going to be it's, – it's unfortunate because it's not good for college football. Well, the Big Ten obviously believed that they knew the Pac-12 was going with them. I think they felt like the Big 12 would go with them. And the, the SEC, I think had the Big 12 gone with them, the ACC would have followed pretty quickly. And the SEC was not going to march by itself. And the, the Big 10 was hopeful, I think, at the time. And, and look, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that at the time when they made the initial decision, maybe they believed the validity of that study about myocarditis. Maybe they believed that, hey, it's just too dangerous. We can't do it. I will forever wonder why they didn't make the same decision that the SEC made. Because here's what the, the SEC to this moment, Chris, has not come out and made a statement that says we are absolutely 100% definitely going to play Correct. on September the 26th. What the SEC said was, we think we can play. We want to play. Our medical people tell us that there is a route to playing, and we're going to pursue that until either we play or we get to a point where it becomes obvious that we cannot play. Right. We don't, the SEC. And, that's the, and that's the way to do it. That's common sense. That's what you do. You go with a plan. You don't just cut it off because you don't know. And when you don't know, you take precautions, you proceed with caution, and then you make decisions accordingly along the lines. That's, that's the intelligent decision to do. If you have a genuine interest in doing it the right way, if you don't and you're politically motivated within well, you do it the way that's going to, you know, fit your agenda. And that's that's where we are and where we've been. So what are you hearing around the league from a, a COVID standpoint? It's it's one of the things that has been frustrating as a, as a beat writer. And for me, it's covering Ole Miss. But I've heard this from my colleagues covering other schools. Is the, the schools are, I don't want to say hiding behind HIPAA, but they're kind of hiding behind HIPAA. They, they, instead of giving us numbers, hey, we have – you know, six positives and 15 people that have had close contact with positive, and that's who's out. They're just telling us, yeah, like like at Ole Miss, for example, Lane Kiffin two weeks in a row has said, uh, you know, that the, the defensive back room, the defensive back unit has been decimated by COVID. And he told us this past week that three offensive linemen were out because of COVID-related stuff. He couldn't remember whether one had it and two had had close contact or vice versa. Whatever. Clemson just yesterday, I think, uh, you know, said, hey, we're, we're in a good place. And when someone said, well, what's the specific number that you're looking at? They didn't want to give it. I do think these schools would be better off 
being more transparent with, yeah, we got four positives and we got 16 kids in, in quarantine right now because of close contact. They're going to be cleared in the next week or whatnot. The CDC, I think, is is coming out soon with a new change that reduces the quarantine time, especially for people who are asymptomatic and test negative, even though they've been around somebody. It's it's going to go from 14 days to 10, I think, or from 10 to 7. I don't know, whatever. But things are going to change. I do think that the league would be a little better off being more transparent. Well, what I'm hearing is uh, obviously a few things on um, everybody's, yeah, they're, they're the numbers and all. They're, I, I'm actually, maybe it's because I'm not hearing a lot of positive tests. I'm encouraged. There was a lot of worry, and this is the reason why they pushed it back to September 26th to start, is they felt like the opening of the fall semesters was going to be a major like blow up of positive tests, which I don't know what's major, what's not, what's normal, what's not. Uh, but it, it, I would say this, that it hasn't sounded as bad as I kind of anticipated. In other words, there was a little bit of a fear that it would be a lot worse than it appears to be at the start of the semester. So I would say so far, so good. Nothing is said, boy, we need to push it back. We got major problems. We got issues. Um, we have, you know, I think we're at this point, we're on pace that we're full go. I mean, I, I, I mean, we're, we're playing September 26th unless something happens between right now and then to significantly alter. And that can happen. We're going to be living in that world all year long. But I think sure. that things are going pretty well. The biggest thing right now is dealing with is probably more of the opt-outs, which we're getting – uh, a a very aggressive approach by a lot of agents and agent runners convincing guys who um, and their families that it might be best to sit out this year that, you know, and throwing in the COVID, you know, issue is a part of it. But, but sometimes I call it the COVID cover, sure. meaning, you know, if Things are not going quite as well. Uh, hey, look, this season might not be as good. Your numbers not might be as good. Your tape not might be as good. If you're ranked high, come out. We got a situation at LSU. We've got a couple, uh, one player, Tyler Shovel, on defense that uh, basically Bo Pelini's come in and he's having a youth movement. They're going to a four three. Well, Tyler Shovel's playing nose tackle, played read react. He's not as good of a fit. He's decided to come out because he doesn't want to go and be benched in favor of a young guy or not play, not be as effective. You know, so you're seeing some of that going on. Jamie Newman's situation was a little bit puzzling to me, but yet does he feel like maybe he doesn't have a complete handle on that job and feels like instead of competing for the job, he'll live off of what he did at Wake Forest and – you know, what I call use the COVID cover, which means, you know, if he was concerned about COVID, he probably would have decided that decision a month ago. Yeah. But this deep into practice, it makes it sounds like, eh, probably thinking along the lines of something else. I'm going to start with LSU. Obviously, LSU coming off of a, I mean, just an absolute dream season, a fantasy season where they won the national championship, they won the SEC, they won everything. They won the Heisman, the coach of the year, the receiver of the year, the athletic trainer of the year. I think their managers won the championship. I mean, I think their water boy got water boy of the year. I mean, they, they got everything. They won everything. You just, it, it, one of those seasons that, that LSU fans will remember forever. But that season's over. They'll, they'll fly the flag, and everybody's got their rings and, and the Heisman and all of that stuff. But the season's over. A lot of change there, uh, Very as, as you would expect when you have that kind of success. Everyone wants a piece of it. Uh, coordinators are gone. A lot of assistants are gone. A lot of players are gone. Joe Burrow was the first pick in the draft. He's now a Cincinnati Bengal. What's going on down there? Because from the outside looking in, you see these opt-outs. You see the situation where uh, Ed Orgeron said, I, I wasn't aware the players were having their social justice march i didn't know about it till they called me i walked into an empty room etc cetera, etc cetera. it's from the outside it looks like hey has ed orgeron lost this team this fast and i know that's probably too strong you're closer to it than i am what's going on there well there is massive changes and ed is more of a facilitator more of a motivator type guy he's a delegator you've got 
two new coordinators. Now, Steve Enzminger was the coordinator. Scott Linehan comes in as the passing game coordinator, replacing Joe Brady. And Bo Pelini is in as a new defensive coordinator. And Bo Pelini is very, very um, type A personality that, you know, the way y'all did it with Dave Aranda, that's not how we're doing it now. This is my defense. And, you know, there's no – this is not like a Nick Saban run operation. So there's a lot of freedom and a lot of things with players, coaches to kind of do. Um, what's happened is you got six players, six starters from the national championship game of returning. Only six. Everybody else is gone. Like you said, everybody, you know, left for the draft. We had Jamar Chase decided that he's opting out and Tyler Shelvin and Ed and them tell me that there's a couple of coaches tell me that there are a couple of more guys that may come out still not quite sure what's taken so long, but they're, they're anticipating it. So, what is really interesting and in what has happened behind the surface is there's this underlying, and I think it started when the club went to the White House for the visit uh, with Trump. Uh, and there's a budding relationship, I guess, if you will. Strange bedfellows, you might say. Donald Trump yeah. and Ed Ogeron. Can you imagine? I would just love to hear that conversation. Um, they've actually had communications. Trump's actually called Ed and about the football season and this and that. I don't think that's played well among some players. Look, we know where we are. Okay. I, I'm not a, again, it's not a political thing for me, but people are political. So players are by and large, are going to have a lot different political views than their coaches. Okay. The coaches are kind of backing them on a lot of issues, but politically they go into the voting booth. They're not voting for the same people. I can tell you. And so I think a lot of that, you know, with this is off COVID, this is on more on the Black Lives Matter issue. This is something that I think that a lot of the players are a little bit turned off by. Not, I don't know that Ed's losing the team or anything, but when you don't know what your team is doing and going to march, yeah, uh, or if you did know and you're just kind of maybe don't want to do it, because it may make a bad appearance with your relationship with Trump. This is, again, it's hard to, I hate politics. And, you know, everything today has been about politics because it is, everything is, I think this is some of what happened. I do know that it, it had something to do with Jamar Chase and his parents and kind of thought, you know what, maybe it's the right time for us to go. Miles Brennan may be good, you know, but he's not going to be Joe Burrow. And, you know, I'm going to live off of what I did and, I think I think some of the players are were a little bit turned off. I don't think it's losing the team. I think that's Ed's strength, but I think the fact that Ed's kind of in rocking a hard place. If the president calls you, what are you going to do? Not going to answer the phone? Right. You're going to, you know, I don't know that Ed is necessary. I, I can tell you, I've known Ed for thirty plus years. I don't think he's a very political guy, um, but you know, I think he needs to respect. And you've mentioned this: respect the office. But then if you respect the office, we're living in a world that if you if you believe that they're going to be half the people or a, a, some group of people that are not going to like that. And so I think that is something he might need to deal with. Um, look, it's it's just uh, I, I think LSU is very talented, got a lot of young players. And I don't know how this season is going to go for anybody with the, the COVID who's going to be healthy and eligible in one week to next. But I do think that it's going to be a transitional year and a lot of, and it's really not possible to, you know, have as good a year as he did last year in Baton Rouge. What do you expect from that team? What, what, I, what do you hear about miles Brennan? I mean, I know he's a, a guy who's kind of waited his turn for a while and didn't play much last season. Obviously there was no reason for him to play much last season. Uh, Joe Burrow was just incredible. Had, had one of those storybook seasons, kind of like Cam Newton at Auburn, that, that kind of thing where everything went well, just played better and better and better. It was absolutely his team. He was, you know, the, the speaking of politics, Joe Burrow could have run for governor last, <laughs> last year and, and, yeah, could have. and, and, won, and won easily. So yeah, I mean, what won. do you expect out of Brennan? And what, what do you expect out of that team? He's progressing nicely. He looks different. His body's been transformed. I mean, he's gotten bigger. He was a skinny, bindedly built, you know, very linear type body and he's gotten a lot stronger uh, and his body's built up. I do think he learned a lot being in that quarterback room with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. 
And so, I listen, I think he's been groomed well. Is he Joe Burrow? No. I mean, I don't – but yet, I'm going to tell you, I didn't think Joe Burrow was – Joe Burrow and his dad, I know his dad real well. When they told me last year at this time, we're going to score 50 points a game, I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, it's – you know – that's yeah. good. That's good, kid. You know, I mean, I've I've heard that type of stuff before. I've been a a scout for thirty years, coach. I I hear I love the confidence. Just you know, please. Well, you know, so I, I'm not saying that I forecasted that, but can I think Miles do a good job? Yes. Is, is it going to be the same? No. As I said, it's not going to reach what it's going to be. Now, what does that mean in terms of a record? Well, I don't know. Tell me who's going to be healthiest when LSU plays Auburn. LSU plays A and M. I, I would say right now, LSU is not as good as Alabama. They're not as good as Florida. But can I guarantee that that whoever is the healthiest out of those four games, that you might see them win the two games? I wouldn't think they're going to win and lose the two that I think. I think that's the type of year we're going to have. But I, I, do, I do see a two, maybe three loss, you know, type of team. That doesn't mean that's the projection, I think, of their record, because that's going to be on a week-to-week basis, health and whatnot. I, but I do think that that uh, that that Auburn and AM could be swing games in a in a normal year, which is again not going to be anything but. And I think Florida and Alabama are probably better. Um, and so, you know, I think anything short of last year is going to be well. It's not the same. I don't think anybody expects it to be the same. And I think the people that think there's some people that they oh they can go to the playoffs again. Well, again, who's going to be in the playoffs? If Ohio State's eliminated, do we? How many teams from the SEC get in? I mean, I, I don't know. Is LSU going to be one of those teams? Probably not. I think if there's a second or third team from the SEC, I'm not sure it's going to be LSU. One of the teams that I think going into the season people thought it might be would be Georgia. Uh, you mentioned Jamie Newman; he opts out. It, maybe it's the cynic in me when I saw the the timing of that opt out, and I don't question anybody. If you opt out. At any time, hey, football's a game that if you're not 100% in, it, it's going to be miserable. And if you have COVID concerns, you have COVID concerns. That's, who am I to tell you that you shouldn't have COVID concerns? That, that's not my place. But I can't help but think that some of this may be that he was concerned with some of the writing that was starting to show up on the wall. JT Daniel is there. He's been cleared. The NCAA made him immediately eligible. What did you make of, of Newman's decision, or what do you think it means for the Bulldogs? Well, I was surprised because while I think he has talent and I thought he was going to have a good year and I thought he would win this job, I mean, he certainly had the advantage. It, I mean, I say an advantage, it's not a normal advantage, right? We didn't have a, a spring practice, but yeah. he was the one getting all the, the, the virtual teaching, not JT Daniels. JT's just been there and hadn't even been cleared physically on things. So, there's, it's too early to really have a good handle on who's the better. What, what this tells me is that things weren't going as well, meaning like, all right, wasn't picking things up or what, you know. So because you're right, COVID concerns are real. If you got them, I'm not criticizing it. But if you've got COVID concerns of September 1st, you got them on August 15th. I mean, you know, yeah. now maybe, you know, so probably I think the timing suggests something different. Um. I, I'm a little surprised in this regard, and I'm looking at it from a scout standpoint, which I tend to kind of gravitate there. It's normal for me still doing it is that I thought he was the type of guy that with a good year, he could really improve his stock. And I thought he was, had the chance to have a good, have a good year. I think that had he played this year with Georgia, he would be drafted a little bit higher than he is now. I, I, I liked a lot of the tape at Wake Forest, but I think there's some growth and development that was needed and he's not going to get that. So that tells me things weren't going well and he didn't quite fit into the offense understanding, maybe wouldn't be able to do a lot of that. And I think you're getting a lot of the things in their ears by their family members who, you know, get that's who the agents and the runners get to, you know, you should come out, you're this, you're that. And, and I think they get that information. And I think that's how that's played out. What does it mean for Georgia? Look, I can tell you this, it, um, it it makes the move of getting JT Daniels in there that much better now, doesn't it? It looks that much better. Uh, you know, Mathis is a really good young player. I wouldn't count him out. JT hadn't been clear for a whole lot. It's not like 
I mean, like to me, if he's getting beaten out, it's not so much about JT. I think JT's got a, I think JT Daniels can win it. The thing that JT Daniels brings to the table, as you know, is the same thing Newman brought playing experience in college. Yeah. So he, well, you know, I think what you do as an offense, look, what is Georgia going to do? They're going to play great defense. They're going to run the football. You know, you compress a little bit of the game plan. JT will be able to pick it up. You know, if it's mad, they'll do what they need to do. But uh, I think they'll be fine. I mean, I don't think this is the end. And uh, I'm with you. I think if Jamie Newman was the clear guy and he was, you know, the the leader and everything, then he, he wouldn't be leaving. So I, I think that, I mean, I think they'd like to have him at Georgia, but They'd like to have both of them because they have a couple of options along with the young guy. Now they, they're down one. And you don't like to be down any players, as you well know, this year in particular because in addition to injuries, you're you dealing COVID. with a COVID situation. Yep. So you better, you better know who your third and fourth team quarterbacks are on your team, folks, because you might, you might know who they are at some point during the year. Well, you're exactly right. It's one of the things that, that's unpredictable and it makes this season a complete one-off is – you're going to get, in my opinion, now look, it might change as we get closer to the season, but right now the mandate is that you test on Sunday, mm-hmm. you test on Wednesday, and you do the rapid test on Friday. Uh, there, There's a lot, a lot of people around the league think that by the middle of the season, the testing is going to be absolutely refined to a point where this will become less and less of a problem. But it's very conceivable, especially early in the year, that you have some asymptomatic guys who test positive. And then when they do the contact tracing, some other players on the team are have are held out. So you might have a week. I mean, I'll use a I'll use a crazy example that I used. I was doing this with Ole Miss. It's not inconceivable that this is the year that an Ole Miss catches Auburn, who's better than Ole Miss, in a COVID game and wins a COVID game. And then that same Ole Miss team in the same season could go to Arkansas, for example, and I think Ole Miss is better than Arkansas. But Ole Miss has a COVID game, and Arkansas is healthy, and Ole Miss loses a COVID game to Arkansas. That Those things are not unrealistic at all because, look, it's the SEC. Everybody's pretty talented outside of Vanderbilt, and you've, you've got – you can lose an advantage quickly if you're down two offensive linemen. You're down three defensive linemen. You're down your starting linebacker core. You're down a corner and a safety and two wide receivers. Well, all of a sudden, a four-point win turns into a three-point loss. That's just that's the way it works. So you're going to get some of that that happens over the course of the season. And you're right, depth at every position, quarterback included, is going to be critical. It's one of the things that uh, you, you sort of hear coaches saying is that, hey, we're we've got a longer preseason than we normally do. We're not doing the 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 fall camp, if you will, where it's a, almost a two-a-day and we have them in the building all day. So we're making sure that we're getting more reps for down-the-roster guys. It's why for at, at especially established programs, Alabama comes to mind, Auburn, Georgia, uh, Kentucky, programs like that, they probably – don't really hate having a little bit of a COVID issue right now. You're going to get the guys back for the start of the season, and it frees up practice reps for some down-the-roster guys to get them ready where if you had a COVID issue in week five where you're like, hey, man, this is going to – we're going to lose this these guys for the fifth game and the sixth game and maybe the seventh game. We got to get these guys ready to play. I think you're seeing some of that happening as September continues to roll on. Yeah, it's just you know, Clemson had a, a you know a, a while back a, a, a breakout, and it's not, they kind of think that maybe that's not the worst thing in the world for them. Here's what is um, kind of concerning coaches a little bit, and I've been you know, talking with them several weeks over it. So you have a situation where you, you get a, an offensive lineman or two. So you're worried about two things, and and I think people focus a lot on practice, but the biggest concern is in your your meetings. Yeah. So can you space enough in your meeting rooms, your position meeting rooms, to where one gets it, then obviously the ones that are most success, uh, susceptible to it are the line coach and the other offensive line. Um, but if you do have it, they're, they're doing a pretty good job in facilities. 
uh, to be able to do that with masks and things. So, and with spacing, that can be contained better. But on the practice field, if you get an offensive lineman, then how do you deal with practice that week? Do you do more pads because you can't go offensive, defensive lineman up face to face more yep. because it's yep. now now you're talking about exposing defensive linemen. So the product, not just who's available or not, but how do you prepare that meal? How do you prepare that product during the week for that game? If you're limited in what you can do and you have to work more on with blocking dummies and not, I'm going to tell you, that's that's yep. that's an alternative, but it's not the best way to prepare. And you play how you practice, folks. And very often times, oh, we had a crappy week of practice to play. Well, that's because when you had a bad week, you were able to correct it in time for the game. You start having weeks where you're not really in sync. You're not, and I'm talking about the blocking and tackling part. Yeah. That has affected the most. So those are the things that are concerning coaches. It's one of the things. The one thing I've talked to coaches a lot about, as you know, Neil, and for people who don't, I do a lot of consulting work. The, the thing I've said is you've got to be prepared as a coaching staff. Who, okay, you, you should go in with the idea that here's our play caller on offense, here's our play caller on defense. You better have, because the way it works is, you know, play, the play caller, the coordinator calls out the plays in practice and you work through it. And you got other people involved. You better have dual coordinators, meaning you better have a backup yeah. coordinator for every game. Because if something happens to one of the coaches and they test positive on a Thursday or a Friday, Friday, then who's going to call that game on that side of the ball? You better be prepared for that. And now the NCAA's made some allowances to take a guy that's an analyst and move them up to linebacker coach if your linebacker coach tests positive. But you better sure. have your play caller in line. And if you don't, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And that could have a tremendous impact on a game, as you mentioned, that could take a significant favorite and bring it down to the level um, to someone that's not nearly as good. Are you a Food Network guy? Do you watch much Food Network? Uh, not much. Okay, so I, I love Food Network. My son loves Food Network. We watch a lot of guys' grocery games. Guy Fietti. And so they have an entire grocery store. They have an entire grocery store at their disposal and they have multiple rounds. And so you have 30 minutes to prepare a meal and then he'll throw some wild cards in. (laughs) You can only shop off the even aisles or you have to buy one item from each aisle or stuff like that. It's going to be like that. The the chef that wins. Good analogy. Is the chef that can be creative. The chef that can say, okay, I was planning to make uh tacos and now i can make tacos but i can't have tortillas or i can't use this particular spice or i only can use this it's it's who can say okay that's not ideal but we improvise and to your point it's the coaches who can say okay i've been doing this for 30 years and i didn't get to be an sec coach without being damn good at it but I do it my way. That coach's ability to at least this one season say, yeah, but I can't do it my way this time. I can't do it exactly my way this time. I've got to improvise. I've got to take this COVID thing seriously. I've got to obey the protocols. This this week, we might not have a team practice. I know we're playing Kentucky Saturday, but we might not put the whole team on the field together all week. We might put the offense out and let them go against padded managers. And then we might bring the defense out and we might just do a whole lot of mental prep. Right. We might do position meetings by Zoom this week just to be super careful. We think we're okay, but we're not sure. We, we might not bring the entire team in all week until we leave on Friday for Lexington. No, that's exactly right. I mean, it's... Um... It's going to be a unique year unlike any other. And look, I do think that coaches are going to get a a COVID pass this year. You know, I, I, think, that, I think that a coach that, um, you know, if, if he has an odd season, um, meaning downward, it's going to be explained away by COVID. Um, and it may even save the job of somebody that's on the hot seat because you might, A, 
you know, not going to judge them on this year, even though they've maybe had previous years of struggling. And you think, and then you also, do you have the money to want to buy out a contract if he's got a large? I, th- I think coaches are going to get a buy on that. But what they won't get a buy out on if somebody gets caught doing anything like putting a player on that test positive, where you're right, they're going to have to make the adjustments and are going to have to do the best that they can. And if it means that they don't achieve what they expected, um, they're not going to be happy about it, but that's going to be the alternative. They're going to have to just adjust this year. It's going to be a year. Of, it has been an adjustment because the, the adjustments have taken place over the past several months, but it'll continue throughout this football season and maybe beyond. We don't know. If you told me that the the football gods came down and told me that an SEC coach lost his job this season, I would tell you, my guess would be they either had a scandal, some sort of a personal scandal, some sort of a, a team scandal where it looks like you lost control of your of your team where you could be fired with cause. Or I would tell you that there was some sort of a COVID-related thing where play, where coaches played suspected COVID-positive players despite the fact that they knew that those players shouldn't have played. That's it. I don't think a coach like Will Muschamp in a normal year is on some form of a hot seat. Derek Mason in a normal year on some form of a hot seat. Those guys aren't on a hot seat. In a normal year, this is year one for Sam Pittman, for Lane Kiffin, for Mike Leach, for Elijah Drinkwitz. I now think it's a year zero. Year, year zero. I was about to say it's a year zero in my mind. So the, it, it, the only way you lose your gig, and these coaches know this, is to do something really stupid, and I just don't think they're going to. So far, everything in the SEC indicates that the coaches take this seriously. I use Auburn as the example. Auburn basically shut down for a week. Just kind of, hey, let's cool off. Let's just pump the brakes. Slow down. That is not in Gus Malzahn's nature to do that in a preseason. In a normal non-COVID year, there's no way three and a half, four weeks before kickoff, he has his team and he goes, hey, no, let's not practice for a week. No chance. No chance. So it tells you that these guys are taking it seriously, that the message has been delivered. I'll give the league office a lot of credit, and I've not always been the guy that gives the league office a lot of credit. I think Greg Sankey and his team there in Birmingham have done a phenomenal job of managing this since March in communicating, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's the plan. Here are the protocols. You have to take this seriously. Constantly talking about it. They talked about it all summer, and now that we got into the preseason part of the season where teams are practicing, teams are scrimmaging, all of those things, guys are testing positive. You're having to figure that figure it out. They were imminently prepared, and it's one of the reasons why with kickoff scheduled for three weeks from tomorrow, I actually believe it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. Well, Neil, as we kind of get close towards the end, we want to thank we had a couple of folks that kind of chimed in. We want to encourage folks on the chat room. Go to the chat room, send your questions, send your thoughts, positive, negative, whatever, things you'd like to hear. Uh, we, we certainly invite you to join the Twitch family and you can do that by clicking the heart button and, um, again, participating. This is, this is for you. So things you want us to cover, answer, what have you, we're here for you. So, uh, man, it's a good, uh, a good, uh, start, my man. The, the first one, we got a lot. We'll be here every Tuesday and Friday live, uh, 9 a.m. Central. So, uh, you get your SEC football fix, SEC football and beyond is, is what we call it. And, we're just uh, thrilled to, to be with you, and we're going to get you closer and closer towards breaking down the games. Aren't you just ready to talk football and get this other stuff out of the way? I know we had to, but it's yeah. just ready to talk football, and we're going to be doing that. Absolutely. So well, last night I turned on Southern Miss and South Alabama. and, and Me too. We were talking about how the whistle sounded different and stuff, and I, at first I was like, I don't like that. And then I thought, nope, nope, I'm good. Just just play. Whatever, we're, just play. Yeah. Just play. That's right. Just get All it right. done. Well, have a great weekend. Enjoy your uh, Labor Day. For those of you out there, if you want to send something to us, you can via Twitter. It's at Landry Football, and I'm at Neil McCready, which is my name. If you want things you want us to talk about next week, we'll be happy to take those suggestions. Have a safe and happy Labor Day weekend. We'll be back on Tuesday at 9. Until then, for Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. Talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumba no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus